Today, we are kind of unexpectedly finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. Ever since this church started doing things like having a Bible study, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. When we transitioned to evening services, we stayed in the Sermon on the Mount. When we transitioned to morning services, we stayed in the Sermon on the Mount. And Sermon on the Mount is pretty long. And it feels long when you do it like that, because there's a lot in it and a lot to say. Um, But right now, we're about to go through like 15 verses at once. Amazing. We've never gone that fast. Um, And the reason is... But you'll see what the reason is. Jake may want to back clean up next week. I don't know. But technically, we're going through all the verses right now. So we're going to start a little bit earlier from where we, part of what we read last week, Matthew 7, 12 through 27, or 13 through 27. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. All right, so this does end on a heavy note, right? The Sermon on the Mount, it's a downer. Um, So Jesus, you've been talking for a while, you said a lot of hard things, what's the last thing you want to say? Maybe if you could end on kind of an uplifting note, and give me a little bit of warmth or sweetness, I'd really appreciate that, because you just, you spent... I don't know how long, hammering me. You've been hammering me about lust and anger and greed and pride and judgment. And if you could just, if you could just, I mean, aren't you full of truth and grace, Jesus? Isn't that who you are? Well, it is who he is. (laughs) But grace isn't always what we would like it to be, right? Grace isn't always, when, if we could define the word grace, we would define this part of the Sermon on, we would actually, we just wouldn't have the Sermon on the Mount if we could define grace. We would define the Sermon on the Mount out of existence with our definition of grace. We would do the same with our definition of love. And I'm just talking about the way our hearts are bent. We want something that feels gentle. We want something that feels easy. We want Jesus just to be nice. And Jesus is being kind. It's not the same thing. And he's being gracious, which is not the same thing. 
And he's giving us all of these warnings. And so the Sermon on the Mount ends. Don't be like the fool who built his house in the sand by not obeying me, because there's a storm coming and you've never seen a storm like this. The, the rain's going to come, the wind's going to blow, the waves are going to beat on that house. And if you build your house on the sand, your house is going to come crashing down. There's not going to be any putting that house back together again. It's gone. The end. Bye. Whoa, all right. Well, church is done. Sermon's over. I feel kind of like, I don't know, want a burger? Anyone want a burger? Maybe a milkshake? Oh, that Jesus, he's a, he's a good teacher. Gives you stuff to think about. Yep, yep. Maybe uh, take a nap. Take a nap. Oh, yeah, good sermon. Good sermon. Well, <laughs> I'm joking, because no one felt like that. No one felt like that. And we know that they didn't, because what it says right after is that when he finished, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he taught with authority and not as their scribes. Well, yeah, he taught with authority. The authority was, do what I say, or you'll regret it. That's a lot of authority. Jesus didn't end with things that are very sweet and warm in the sermon. He didn't end with, don't be anxious. You have a father in heaven who loves you. He did say that, but that's like a while back. He didn't end with, um, ask and you will receive. Your father knows how to give good gifts to you. Don't, Don't worry, ask and you'll receive. He did say that too. But that's a while back. He's not ending like that, right? He's just, he comes down so heavy. And that's because he wants us to enter through the narrow gate. He wants his disciples to enter through the narrow gate. Um, you, ever, you ever tell your kids, hey, it's your turn, little Susie. No, we won't use little Susie. It's your turn, Peter, to empty the dishwasher. I can pick on you. And... Don't put the forks where the spoons go. I keep telling you. They go in the little holder thingy. They go here, not there. There's no reason for you to make that mistake. And don't leave it for your sister to do later. It's your chore. Peter, I'm warning you. Unload the dishwasher or there will be consequences. So this is kind of that moment. Unload the dishwasher or there will be consequences, right? Jesus wants you to obey. He wants you to enter through the narrow gate. So Seth or Ian, whoever's running that, could you, could you pull up verse 15 again? Um, Jesus says the thing about the narrow gate, and then he gives us two warnings that are very connected. And the first is about false prophets. It's about spiritual authorities. How do you know who you should trust? And the second is about how do you know that you can trust yourself? I mean, how do you know that you're actually following Jesus or not? They go right together. That's, that's before the big finale about the house on the sand. So... Here's the first one. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So suddenly, suddenly I mean, it seems like out of nowhere, we have false prophets. Where did false prophets come from? Well, it just doesn't seem to follow. Jesus is saying, obey me and do what I say. And now, false prophets. Well, the basic answer, the simple answer, is that God always puts leaders over us. Jesus ascended into heaven. He left authority with his disciples, right? He said, all authority, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, so now, go. 
Now you speak for me. You have my authority. And in the church of Christ, I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. This is a freebie. You actually, you can never submit to Jesus without submitting to pastors and other spiritual leaders. You can't because Jesus loves to delegate. It's what he does. It's what he does. He did it in his ministry. He did it as a pattern, established it as a pattern at the end of his ministry. And it's all through his word. God delegates and he delegates to people who are, surprise, sinners. Because there's no one else except angels, and he's not using them for this job. So that's the basic reason. Jesus is going to be ascending into heaven. And you're going to have to deal with, who do I listen to? Who do I follow? How would I know? False prophets versus true prophets. False prophets is not just what we call prophets proper. It's all those who speak for God and our spiritual authorities in our lives that God has put there, right? So I want a kid. There aren't a lot, as many kids. Lucy, could you do me a favor? And could you tell me what a prophet is, what a prophet does? Yeah, a prophet teaches about Jesus. That's, that's a good answer. Anyone else? Ian, Peter, you want to give an answer to? What does a prophet do? Preaches the good news? What I expected you guys to say, actually, was that, well, a prophet is someone who tells the future which is true, but there's something more basic to what a prophet does, and it's actually what you guys are saying. It's that a prophet speaks for Yahweh. A prophet speaks for God. That's obviously who Jesus is. Jesus is the prophet, like the ultimate prophet. Speaks perfectly for God. Everything he does and says is in line with the will of God completely. And we don't have any prophets like that, because like I was saying, we're all Anyone in authority over you in the Lord is not like that. They are messed up. They're sinners. But there is a difference between good and bad prophets, good and bad spiritual authorities, and Jesus wants us to know what that is. So Jesus was a good tree. He bore good fruit. You always knew, looking at the fruit of Jesus, wow, he's the real thing. He's not diseased. He's not a diseased tree. Jesus isn't getting thrown into the fire. He's the real deal. He produces the good fruit. So Let's think about Jesus' fruit for just a second. If he's the best prophet, he produces the best fruit, then maybe we can learn, looking at his fruit, what we ought to look for in those men who God appoints to lead us. So, let's see. You got 11 men who are completely committed to doing Jesus' mission on earth. You You have people whose sins are forgiven. You have people who leave things like prostitution, being thieves, being religious hypocrites, actually, who leave behind pride, leave behind sexual sin, leave behind greed, leave behind anger and rage, leave behind all of that stuff, and now they're following God. You also have people raised from the dead, people healed from leprosy, demons cast out. Um, it's all right. And, but, but, but what you have is you have... You have changed people and changed lives. And why do you have that? Well, the simple reason is that Jesus has been obeying his Father's will. He's been obeying. He's been doing the Father's will. And that's something you can look at. And you can see everything you did and said is in line with the Father's will. And that's where it touches down for you and me, whether we're people in a position of authority in the church or someone else. We're not probably going to be raising anyone from the dead. Um, we're probably not going to be casting out any demons. 
Although, you know, you hear stories from missionaries, if you know any missionaries. They might tell you about that kind of thing. Uh, you might not get to do a miracle or anything, but you can do your Father's will. You can do your Father's will. And the, and the result of that is going to be fruit like what Jesus had. It's going to be changed lives. People walking with God who weren't before. So, the true prophets, the fruit's going to look like that. But that passage isn't about true prophets. It's about false prophets. False prophets, false pastors, false Bible teachers, their fruit's not like the fruit of Jesus. Jesus brought the truth. He loved us at the cost of his own life. Um, But false prophets are self-protective. False prophets are like, no, I'm in it for me. What they say and they do, what they, what they do is going to not end well for people who follow them. It's not going to end well. Um, because it's not going to end with people following the Sermon on the Mount and obeying the Father in heaven from their hearts. That's not going to be the point. That's not going to be the outcome. It, it's not going to end in community among believers where we can be sinners. It's actually safe to be a sinner. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. But in a community of humble people, you can confess your sin and people aren't going to shun you because we're all in it together and we all need a lot of help as it turns out. And we all have a lot of stuff we'd much rather hide as it turns out. And so we're all kind of in the same boat as it turns out. And that's kind of people Jesus attracted. It's people who knew we're kind of in that boat. But it might end with buckets of money, false prophets, Especially if the money is in their bucket. (laughs) Maybe they're happy to promise you money too. It might end with, um, it might end with uh, sexual scandal. People who are, men who are greedy for, for money and want the Christian ministry to be a tool to make money often um, are greedy for other things too. It might end with, it might end with, in some ways, a very good reputation in the community. Because look at all the ministries you started. Look how many people they told the gospel to. Look at all the things that they did. Mighty works. Super impressive stuff. It might end that way. But the truth always comes out, if not on earth, at the judgment seat. This is what Jesus is warning about, right? The judgment seat. Obedience or disobedience? One day, the truth will be told. You can't hide behind your impressive ministry. And some of those things I just named weren't bad. People who get to preach the gospel to tens of thousands of other people and have big ministries and make a big impact, and maybe they spend a lot of money on their church building, and that's great. In its place. But, what, but the first place goes to obedience. And obedience comes from the heart. And obedience is about dealing with your own sin and loving other people in their sin. And it's not about the appearance of success or wealth, or even the appearance of God's blessing. How often did Jesus appear to have God's blessing? Well, he didn't appear to have God's blessing on the cross. But that's where our blessing comes from, is through his shame. Beware of false prophets, you'll know them by their fruits. Well, beware is not a command to the false prophets, beware is a command to us. Beware is the command to us. And it's a lot easier to not want to obey that command, actually. You might say, well, beware is not exactly a command. Well, 
He's trying to teach us to have discernment and to do the actual hard work of recognizing what we're seeing and what we're dealing with. And he's going to target us in just a second, don't worry. But right now, he's, he's helping us to think about false prophets, false teachers. You'll know them by their fruits, but he's a great preacher. I don't want to know him by his fruits. I want to know him by his sermons. Aren't they one of his fruits? Well, yeah, I don't want to know him by his fruits, just like I don't want to know myself by my fruits. I mean, come on. He may be a wolf in sheep's clothing, but I like sheep's clothing, <laughs> right? I like sheep's clothing. Do you always have to look underneath the sheep's clothing? Crud, it's not a sheep. <laughs> it's a wolf. Who needs this kind of trouble anyway? <laughs> So-and-so has told thousands of people about Jesus. Well, okay, great, great. What about behind closed doors? Well, we all do things behind closed doors that we regret, and there's grace for that. There's forgiveness for that. God's going to forgive him. God's a forgiving God. Right, but are their lives fundamentally marked by doing the will of their Father in heaven behind closed doors? What's the fruit? I, I just told you the fruit. The fruit is thousands of people heard about Jesus. Well, right, right, great. But, but let's read the next section. Ian, would you pull up verse 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now suddenly, Jesus is tricky like this. You have to watch him carefully because he's talking about false prophets and you think you're safe. And then suddenly he's like, now I have all of you. <laughs> Actually, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And now we're going to talk about you as well as them. And Jesus is always doing things like that. <laughs> he's talking to us first. He's talking to us first. You can tell that this is directed at all of us. No matter what we do or who we are, um, all of us have to bear good fruit. All of us are trees that are going to be judged and are in danger of being thrown into the fire. And what we learn here is that for pastors and for us, obeying Jesus is not about miracles. It's not about tens of thousands of people hearing the gospel. If I can say that. Hey, if you get the chance, do it. You ought to do it. If you get the chance to do a miracle, if God gives that to you, that's wonderful. If you have a wild spiritual experience, it's from the Lord, that's great. That's great. Not knocking any of that. But and maybe someday this church will be like hundreds of people in a big building. I don't know. I'd be happy with that if it came about the right way. Um, but that's not obedience. That's not the same thing. Obedience to my Father who is in heaven. That's the dividing line, and that's the defining thing. That, that will be the line by which Jesus divides people at the judgment, the throne of God. Obedience to who? Whom? Father in heaven. Pay the Father in heaven? I mean, come on! The Father in heaven, like, sees my heart level stuff. How am I supposed to obey him? Like, he doesn't just see that I shared the gospel with my neighbor. He saw that I was really irritated to have to talk with my neighbor because I'm busy and I did it out of just a bare sense of obligation because I have a guilty conscience and it's not because I care about my neighbor and so even the best things I do are pretty crummy, pretty pathetic. So how can you tell me, obey the Father in heaven? 
Like, come on, <laughs> give me something here. <laughs> no, no sheep's clothing. <laughs> Self-control is hard. Obeying God from the heart is hard. Looking good to other people is actually not that hard. Coming to church on Sundays is, is generally not that hard. Um, giving your life over to Jesus is hard. But calling him Lord, Lord, being involved in things that make you look good, it's actually pretty easy. There are a lot of people who have it worked out. You and I can be one of them. I'm going to guess everyone in this room has been one of them at one time or another. We always fight not to be that person. <laughs> it's just part of our sin. Lord, Lord. So that's what the Romans called Caesar. You probably know that. Maybe you know that. They called him Lord. So Lord meant, Lord meant, um, oh, did you want my stuff? You can have it. Oh, you wanted to kill me. Yeah, you can kill me. Oh, peeled grapes, not unpeeled. Cook, get on that, peel some grapes. That's what Lord means, right? So we don't, we hear Lord, Lord growing up in the church all the time. It kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And we don't, Lord isn't, it just doesn't have that baggage. That baggage of, oh, Lord, like the guy on the throne who directs armies and spends your tax dollars and ask for more of your tax dollars. No, you don't get to vote. Um, and uh, comes and maybe deals with your village in a way that is pretty awful. And he gets to do that because he's the Lord. When you call Jesus Lord, you're saying, you're that. <laughs> you're that. And Jesus knows if we don't really think of him that way. He knows if we're just like talk. He knows if we're just like show. He knows about sheep's clothing versus our hearts, right? He understands that. And he's, well, what does he say? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, Bart Blaylock, who got married yesterday, was just telling me, scariest words in the Bible. I never knew you. <laughs> so does he mean he never knew who you were? No, he created you. I think he knows who you are. Does he mean he didn't know that Peter has blonde hair and that Peter was going to wear a striped shirt today? No, actually, David says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I think God knows every fact about every one of us. But he says, I never knew you. So he's talking about a relationship. This is a relationship word. At no time... At no time were you ever in my employment. You never worked for me. Never submitted to me. You said I was your Lord, but you weren't telling the truth. You and me, we were never friends. I never knew you. No, no, Jesus. I was there the day that you raised Lazarus from the dead. I saw it. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I was there. You like, you healed my mom from sickness. It was awesome. I was there, you were, you were laying it down in the Sermon on the Mount. It was amazing, it was so intense. I asked a question, remember I was there, standing in the back right, I raised my hand, it's like, Jesus, what about this? And you answered me. I was like, wow, Jesus is on the level. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I know you were there. <laughs> I know you were there, I know you saw it. Remember your question, glad you asked the question. Happy to answer your question. I know you appreciated all the cool stuff that I did. I know that you liked it when I really messed with the religious leaders, <laughs> really shook them up. You thought that was pretty cool. 
I know that you liked it when I did all kinds of divine and powerful stuff, kind of like performance art. You know what performance art is? Go out and watch someone do something cool on the sidewalk. Jesus was pretty cool to watch, actually. And you knew, you could tell I was from God. You could tell I was divine. I wasn't just a man. And you wanted some of that magic dust to rub off on you. And so you hung around me every chance you could get. But you and me? We were never friends. I never knew you. And you listened. You listened. But you didn't really listen. You asked questions, but you weren't, you weren't really asking. You saw a lot, but you never saw anything. Not a thing. And you wanted what you wanted, and maybe you got some of it. Maybe you got a healing. Maybe you got an answer. But you didn't want me. You wanted to get out of hell free card, maybe. You didn't want me. You, and how do I know that? How do I know that you didn't want me? Well, you didn't do what I said. <laughs> you didn't give your life to me in all the hidden and invisible places where it counts. You didn't give your life to me. You and I, I, whatever you want to claim about your service to me and how you were a faithful member of ministries and committees and churches, whatever, whatever it is that you did, you and I both know <laughs> you did whatever you wanted to do in all the hidden places where it counted, whatever you wanted. And that means that you promoted disobedience to me, actually. Promoted disobedience to me. You promoted lawlessness. Lawlessness. You didn't obey. Everyone obeys some law. <laughs> Everyone promotes something with their life. You didn't obey my law. You obeyed your own law. You obeyed the devil's law. It wasn't my law. It's lawlessness. Yeah. That's what you modeled with your life. So you and me, we've never been friends. And I only let my friends into my kingdom. I only let my friends through the narrow gate. Only my friends. Now it's time for you to be moving on. Get out of here. We're in danger of deceiving ourselves, all of us. We're in danger of deceiving ourselves, not just about false shepherds. Um, false shepherds, they're in danger of deceiving themselves, but we're in danger of deceiving ourselves about them because we'd rather have the appearance than the reality. Why? 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 Why do we want the appearance rather than the reality with a false shepherd? Why? Because that's what we want for ourselves. That's what I want. I want to hide. I don't want to have to deal with this stuff in here. I want to have to be open about this. It's painful. It stinks. Sometimes I think I'm getting worse instead of getting better. Matter of fact, <laughs> it stinks. And we're all good at this. We know how to lie to ourselves. No one even had to teach us. Don't blame anyone else for the way you lie to yourself. It's your fault. It's my fault. Everyone, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Their religious leaders did not talk this way. <laughs> so this is the ultimatum. It's the end of the sermon. What's an ultimatum? 
I like to pick on the kids when they're in here. It's great. Kids, someone, does one of you know what an ultimatum is? It's not a word that you use every day. Ian? Yeah? No, you're right. Good job. You heard the word ultimate in there. All right, an adult. I need an adult's help. Someone give me, what's an ultimatum? Peter? Now you're an adult. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, laying down the law. It's like the final demand or whatever. It's the final demand someone makes of you. This is the final demand in this sermon, right? It's just, it's heavy. <laughs> this is the point where, this is where Jesus isn't saying, hey, Ian, would you please pick up your room? It's the point where your mom comes and says, pick up your room. It's like, I'm no longer even asking you. I'm telling you, this is the time. Never have to do that with you, right, Ian? <laughs> Only with Peter. Uh, <laughs> pick up your room. And Jesus, as he does this, he's narrowing everything in our lives down to himself, just to him. It's like, oh no, everything's coming down to you, Jesus. The Son of God, the one way, the one gate, the narrow gate, the rock, everything is coming down to Jesus. And who can deal with this or receive this? Well, the answer is from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first thing that Jesus says. He says, blessed, happy, are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who can receive this stuff? This is hard stuff. I wondered how intense I would feel as I went through it. I was writing this, finishing up last night, and I was like, I don't know how to preach this. I think this is the most intense thing I've ever dealt with in the Bible. I haven't preached that many sermons, but this is like just so heavy. Am I going to want to yell the whole time? I don't know. I don't think I have that much energy. I just, like, this is too heavy for me. This is, this is so many warnings about the judgment and about the fire and about being pushed away from Jesus and about having your house crash down and the shame and pain and horror of that moment on the judgment day. How am I supposed to preach this? Well, the answer to who can receive this and who can hear it is the poor in spirit, because the poor in spirit are the people who come to God with nothing. Nothing. Except for quite a bit of sin and need and suffering. And that's it. And they come. And they say, build my house on the rock? Are you joking? Every time I try to obey, it falls down. Jesus, I don't know how to do this. This is crazy what you're asking. It's crazy. I'm just like a human. I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm just like, <sighs> I got daddy issues. Like, I got stuff going on. I can't obey perfectly. That's what you want. All right. And they're the ones, they're the ones who, who say, all right. <laughs> they're the ones who say, all right. They say, if that's what you want, but please forgive my sin. If that's what you want, but please make me a good tree. If that's what you want, but please produce fruit through me. If that's what you want, but I'm going to have to depend on you the whole way. And the, at the end of the day, when I come to you, on the day, the judgment day, I'm not going to come and say, I did a lot of mighty works in your name. 
I'm going to come and say, Jesus, I have relied on you from the moment you taught me that there was nothing else but you for me. Please let me into your kingdom. And Jesus is going to say, I know you. I've always known you. You and I, we've been friends. Yeah, I know how bad you sucked. (laughs) I know how bad you failed at a lot of things you tried and a lot of sins that you could never quite deal with. And I'm not going to excuse those, but I've I've always known you. Because you're poor in spirit. So this ends on a warning, so let me warn you. You need Jesus. You need to come to him. If you want all the awesome gifts he's handing out, like mercy, forgiveness. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, which your obedience can never purchase for you, you will never obey Jesus well enough to buy the ticket in. And if you think you have, you're not poor in spirit. You're just blind. You need to come to Jesus and you need to do what the Sermon on the Mount is designed to do, which is to force you into a kneeling position. That's the whole point. And none of us can do this perfectly or even well. But if you follow the Lord, you're going to come to him again and again for forgiveness. And every time you come and you're like, yeah, I lusted. Yeah, I hated. Yeah, I lied. Yeah, I was greedy. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's going to pick you up and dust you off. He's going to say, I forgive you. He's going to give you a kiss. And then he's going to put his hand on his shoulder. And he's going to look in your eyes. And he's going to say, obey me. Build your house on the rock. Let's pray. Father, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. There's no one but Jesus. There's no one else to come to. And you will not let us escape. And you will not let us have our own personal morality that's good enough and ought to be good enough for you. And you won't let us have our impressive ministries that ought to be good enough for you. You won't let us have the mighty works and you won't let us have the appearances and you don't care about any of that at all. You strip it away and you're ruthless. It's because you love us. You want us to be your friends and you want us to be with you in the kingdom of heaven. Oh Lord, we want to be with you in the kingdom of heaven. We want to be your friends. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you and doesn't want to bow the knee to you, that you'd open their eyes to see how absolute your demands are on our lives and how terrifying your holiness really is. It's not a standard we can measure up to. And I pray that you would give those people and all the rest of us, we need more of it, but I pray that you would give them poverty of spirit. They'd be poor so that they could be rich, full of love and joy. They could find healing and blessing and enter through the narrow gate of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.